this is Teach Air, where your airwaves are taken over by two teachers who want to talk about teaching, the joys of working with children, the pains of a broken photocopier, and news and issues within the world of education. Teach Air aims to connect teachers with teachers. Hey up, Jade, how's it going? Now then, how are you? I'm good. Yeah, good. Welcome everyone to episode two of uh, Teacher Podcast, Life Online, returning to the classroom. How's your week been? Uh, good week so far. Feedback from podcasts has been pretty good, so that was a really big plus. And then I've got some exciting news. I've finally got myself a job sorted for September, so I'm really happy about that. Really nice one. Congratulations. And I know when we spoke earlier in the week, there was a really good feeling around the particular school that you're going to. So uh, it's exciting stuff. Do you want to talk us through the interview and how that went and stuff? Yeah, actually, it was pretty good. Obviously, we've got the global pandemic on the go, so it was very different to a typical UK job interview, I'd say. Um, no lesson observation, obviously, because we only have vulnerable and key worker children in, so they were on their bubble timetable, so it wouldn't be right to inflict on that. Um, met the head teacher and deputy head teacher at a distance, um, had to give a 10-minute presentation on my interpretation of the school values and the school visions and how I'd fit into their ethos. And then and a seven-question interview. It was pretty good, actually. Um, felt a really good vibe. And it's one of those jobs in a place, I think, with teaching where you have to fit the school as much as they have to fit you. And I felt like I fit there and I could see myself there. And one of the big measures I take for myself when I go around the school is can I see myself bombing down the corridor with my photocopy of a morning? And I could, so that was good. So I'm very excited about that. And more listeners for us, eh? Passing the pod. Absolutely. We'll see the family soon. Um, get us an extra school worth of listeners, hopefully. Get some guests in. Absolutely. And I think that links in really nicely to what we're going to talk about today, because we're going to talk about all things remote learning, first and foremost, with Josh. But then we've got a section on transitioning back into the classroom. And we sort of came up with this, didn't we, from the government expectation that all children will return to school in September. And so um, that links in really nicely with with now you've got that plan in place for September ready to start. I'd say so. And I think it's especially interesting because it was due to be released on Thursday, just gone, but it got released a few days early. It was leaked. Um, so there were a few, a few, a good few days where people were discussing their thoughts and feelings on it without it being necessarily a, a final judgment on what's going to happen and obviously things will be subject to change as it is um but there's a lot of anxiety I think in the idea of returning in September now and and I can imagine a lot of parents will be quite confused right now while they work out what's going on yeah and uh, later in the podcast everyone will hear from Leanne um who talk who has been back in the classroom working in China she's she's been through that process and um she spoke uh, about the anxiety that that teachers faced coming back into the classroom, um, but really listening to her, it was so reassuring to, to hear about some of the things that they put in place to make it achievable. Um, so, which led, it, leads me to think, why why are why are the government not tapping into that? You know, it took us one message to talk to Leanne. Why are the government not tapping into people who've done it? Where are the examples of how it could work and and what is working? You know, we could learn from some of the things that are going on in China for sure. Absolutely. And I do feel like um, Leanne's given an opportunity to lead by example there. I mean, I, I listened to your segment with her earlier on yesterday and I, I felt good about it and I, I was I was interested and it was good to hear about the practicalities that they had in place as well as the sort of the emotions of the children and the parents and the staff 
because we obviously have no real idea just yet and I think we're best experiencing it when it happens but I think to have that idea going in a lot better especially because I've been outside the classroom now for a few months yeah and I don't think anybody's expecting perfection but what people want is reassurance isn't it and uh, Leanne certainly provided me with that reassurance that this this is manageable this is achievable this can be done and um, which is really nice I'd say so and I think um, what will be good is to marry that up with um, our next guest who is going to be Josh because Josh is currently teaching in the UK he's just like us heard about the plans for returning to the classroom in September but he's also someone who's fully embraced the situation as it currently is and as it developed and I think he's had quite a positive experience overall with the idea of remote learning so I'm interested to hear from him in terms of what he'll keep and what he'll decide he doesn't necessarily want to take back into the classroom and how he's generally feeling about that transition from being in the classroom at the start of the year, leaving the classroom and then making his way back. Yeah, and I think it gives us that nice journey, isn't it? But I, I completely uh, sort of side with Josh on that. This, this is a great opportunity for education to kind of pause and reflect and reset. And there's definitely things that we were doing prior to lockdown that maybe we can consider not doing. Uh, and there's definitely things that happen for us in my school that were happening during remote learning and teaching online that were excellent, that I really enjoyed. And so... There's definitely things that we can take from that uh, to improve what we do um, back in the classroom moving forward. I would say so. And I would also say that in terms of teaching, in terms of your UK teacher standards, we know that there are eight of them. There are 30 odd statements to, to meet um, for your performance management and for teachers training to be teachers. I've got to follow those too. The idea of research and being a reflective part, uh, practitioner in terms of your planning and your teaching and the direction that your children are going in. Um, this this period of re reflection to me is vital and a really interesting experience for all of us because obviously we're so rooted into what we do day to day that a lot of things tend to start to come naturally, I'd say, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, this kind of being a shift where we've all had to sort of sit back and actively think about what we're doing. Um, so I think that reflective practice that we're now developing is so much better yeah, and definitely. And I think obviously as well, our day-to-day -day life as a teacher is so fast-paced that you don't often get a chance to stop and pause and think and reflect. And this has actually given us that opportunity, which is great. So Absolutely. just to summarise that, we're going to kind of look at where we've been uh, in terms of remote learning and Josh's experience of that and some of the good things that he's produced. Um, and then later on in the show, looking uh, well, talking with Leanne about where we're going next in terms of transitioning back into the classroom. Fantastic. I think we should get ready to welcome Josh. Yeah, absolutely. Let's do that. Delighted to be joined by Josh Kendrew, as we mentioned in the introduction. Um, welcome to the show, Josh. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Uh, mate, how are you? Yeah, doing good. And just to give a little bit of background on this, uh, Josh, Jade and I first met when we Jade and I were working at Waterloo. So Jade was in her second year and I was in my first year. And Josh was the third year of the same uni programme and he came into to our school uh, as a student and uh, unfortunately for him ended up in, in my classroom. Um, I was an NQT, Josh and it actually... It was a fantastic experience. We were both able to learn from, from each other and um, we got along really well. And so it's, uh, it's great to have you on to talk about all things remote learning today. 
Uh, yeah, well, I'm looking forward to it. It was a, uh, it was a lot of fun being in your room. Uh, I remember we did a lot of pretty uh, out there stuff while we were there. Um, uh, happy memories only from it, really. Yeah, absolutely. I think Victorian Day really stands out uh, as, the, as the highlight for me from that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was uh, that was brilliant. My my highlight from that day uh, was. I think uh, you decided that Victorians uh, just didn't have accents back in the day. So you've gone very, very broad uh, and proper English. And I walked into the classroom, um, don't know where I'd been. But you had this uh, young man who caused you a lot of bother over the two years, I believe, uh, and, and me for a short time while I was in the classroom. He was standing in the corner with a dunce hat on facing the wrong way. <laughs> and you, you just gestured towards him with a stick and went, Four sevens, twenty-seven, and I, I left. I left the classroom immediately because I was. I couldn't not laugh. It was a great. It was a great day for revenge. I think I remember. Um, I hit the table so hard with the with the ruler at one point that it snapped in half. Um, which was a, which was a standout moment. I, and I remember the names as well. We had some brilliant Victorian names for the children. It was oh. it was fantastic. And, uh, uh, Robert Sprout. Robert Sprout. Was that one. <laughs> yeah, it definitely was. Yeah, brilliant. <laughs> And uh, just another thing on that um, for, for our for our hordes of listeners, um, Josh is a Hull City fan, uh, an avid Hull City supporter. And I got a text earlier in the week from Jade. It was about ten minutes into the game because it just so I happened. Think it was it was four minutes into the game. It was a very quick. Yeah, quick yeah. Um, Middlesbrough played Hull, which was, which was ironic. But uh, after the after the first ten minutes, where Jade mentioned it, it didn't get mentioned again. So could anyone just enlighten me on to sort of how the game panned out after Jade texted me when Middlesbrough won up? Uh, well, yeah, it was um, <laughs> it, it was a turgid game. Um, it was let's, awful. let's be honest. Yeah, um, but yeah, I think um, I think a little team from East Yorkshire might have got their first win in six months uh, with a with a last minute scrapper that went in. Um, hadn't could could you confirm January that? January first. It was January first. Your last win, so you can have yeah. that. Um, yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. The problem with Middlesbrough is if we score within the first ten minutes and we're up within the first ten minutes, we tend to be down by the ninetieth minute. It's something <laughs> that we're not able to maintain, really. Um, Josh, just so, just so happened, you went very quiet on the updates, though, Jade. You went very quiet once. <laughs> I just needed a moment of reflection. It's a good skill for a teacher to have, to be honest with you. And speaking of skills as a teacher, Josh, I'd love it if you could just give us a brief um, history of yourself and your career, um, just for the sake of the listeners, so they can understand who you are and what brought you to teaching. Yeah, cool. Well, I've had a quite a, a varied career already so far. So obviously, uh, as you mentioned before, I uh, trained up uh, with you guys through the same scheme, which I... I thought it was brilliant, to be honest. It, it made you feel like you were part of a school rather than just some extra body who uh, someone else had to deal with, um, which is brilliant and set set me up really well. Uh, and then I moved, uh, did my NQT year in a pretty challenging environment um, um, and then moved on again after that. Um, did two, two years in the leafy suburbs, which was just a complete contrast, really different. Um, and now I'm back in a school... Uh, so I've done four years. It's my fourth year finishing now. I'm back in a school that is uh, probably somewhere in between the two. Um, so it's kind of using skills from both. Um, and I still love it. I don't know if you're allowed to say that because it gets such a bad rep of people claiming that they're uh, wanting to leave already. But um, it's a really enjoyable job. And I know you two feel exactly the same about it. I'd say we're... Yeah, for sure. I, absolutely. I think we have the best job in the world, personally. 
so John. Yeah, absolutely. Um, our overarching question, our episode today is, how have we kept learning and what impact has it had when we considered the idea of teaching remotely? So since the middle of March, we've had to transition into a much um, newer role as online teachers. Um, I'd love to ask you and Martin some questions today to compare and contrast your experiences within Liverpool, but also within Qatar. So I suppose my first question for you today is, um, how have you facilitated online learning for your class? Um, well, it's it's been really varied uh, and we tried a lot of things. So the uh, the major thing that I've been involved in is um, I've set up a YouTube channel for our school. Obviously, um, doing things online is um, basically the alarm bells start going off, don't they, with um, kids these days? Because a lot of the stuff you have to deal with is all around how they conduct themselves online. Um, so we're trying to find a safe platform for that first and foremost. A lot of uh, a lot of other staff members, you know, mentioned things like TikTok, and you just immediately go, no, that's the a they shouldn't be on it and b they can't conduct themselves on it um and youtube is quite good because um it uh, you can go through all the settings and it's got this one that's called made for kids um which disables comments um and um really just makes it a lot safer um for kids to access um and it doesn't need to be done through an adult as well which i know is a problem with a lot of social media like twitter um oh, absolutely that, that schools try and use um, so, go on. I was about to ask, um, because that, this is what brought us to you, really. It was your YouTube channel. It was something that we found really interesting. Um, what, how have you found that? What, what have you enjoyed about um, opening the YouTube? Um, I think I've enjoyed how surprised kids were that we were doing it, to be honest. Um, because um, now I've been in back in school quite a few days you actually get to talk to a few of them sort of talking to a few year sixes um and a, a lot of the year sixes were looking at some of the videos i was putting up now they weren't even aimed at them but obviously they had access to them because it was just on the youtube channel as a whole um and also seeing how s some not all but some of the other teachers um really threw themselves into it as well despite not massively um knowing what they were doing particularly at the start um and then just seeing how many how many people are engaging with it is nice. It's, it's got up to about 150 subscribers, which is kind of more than I expected. Um, so it, it, it's just been a pleasant surprise at how well it's gone, really. I'd say so. And I'd say yeah, and I can sort of build on... Yeah, go for it, Martin. Yeah, if I could just sort of build on that. We, we've had a similar experience, slightly different in the sense that obviously we're a, uh, a school where the parents pay fees. So we, we had slightly more pressure in terms of delivering something that um, the children could access. All of our children have iPads as well, which is a, which is a big bonus. So we, we were a little bit more um, freer to kind of have a go at different things. But we started with, with videos. We posted them through Class Dojo, uh, and then we transitioned into more of a live element using Zoom, um, which worked well as well. But the videos were, were great, and they were a great way for us to start. And, and actually, the engagement from the children, as Josh uh, mentioned, has been fantastic. I think throughout this it's been the children's response that has really kept us going they've been so resilient and so enthusiastic um about these different lessons and the way we've posted them and that's been like for me the real highlight of it that's interesting that especially because 
there is a, a almost a fear of relying on technology like Josh said in the classroom sometimes and then at this point access to technology becomes an issue there and um, because like, like you say all these children have access to iPads but I know in experiences in some areas of Liverpool that's not necessarily the case and um, so I wonder if you could reflect on even if it's not to do with technology and um, what's worked well for you and would it work back in the classroom um, I'll take that to Josh first um yeah I mean I would I'd love to maybe transition homework to um a video element of it certainly because I know homework at the minute is just incredibly demoralizing you know you get given these books at the start of the year and then mm -hmm. it's an afterthought on a Friday you just sort of close your eyes and pick a page number and go oh yeah that'll do um and it, it can't be very interesting for them to do at home whereas if you set this task and all you say is well, go on our YouTube channel your homework's on there do it over the weekend that would I think increase not only the amount of kids actually doing it but also the the number of kids who um, looked forward to it and did more than a uh, more than a mm, <laughs> I'm trying to think of a polite way to put this um, half something job on the homework half-hearted effort <laughs> That's the one, yes, yes. Um, I would also perhaps say there that that could be a good idea in terms of some of the fears that we might have with homework is that we're setting something that's accessible for all. And I suppose with that video element, you've also got that additional teaching element that they can go back to. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So they can return to whatever you've done. Um, and again, it gives the... Um, it gives the parents uh, a lot more support as well because it can't tell you the amount of times parents put a little post-it note on their homework books going um, either they didn't know how to help or the absolute favourite is my child hasn't been taught this, which um, is one I'm sure we've all experienced and all um, has made, yeah, made our skin crawl. Yeah, and a consistent teaching approach as well in terms of um, you know what what the parents will have learned and the methods that they will have learned to do something is totally different from from the way we maybe teach it now, and so that can be confusing for children being told by the parents to do something in a particular way when we're telling them to do it a different way, and I know that causes some friction uh, for for the children at home for us. So I, I agree with you that that sort of offering tutorial videos um, online for for homework would be amazing, would be a real uh, step forward in terms of homework which has always been an issue in every school that, that I've sort of been associated with I feel like we've got an additional episode to talk about at some point here with homework I think this is a great topic to go for definitely um so in terms of something that's worked well for you Martin I think the quality of because I was doing a lot of stuff live towards the end on zoom and the quality of my small group teaching on zoom uh, when I had like just one child on or, or two or three children in a small group and I had no other distractions. The quality of the one-to-one -one teaching there was, was far, far better than when I was trying to do small group work but have 20 children in the room who are still sort of managing in terms of behavior and, and, and that kind of thing. Uh, my concentration, my effort uh, and my application to, the, to those children in that time was far, far greater than it is in the classroom. So I think the, the small group and the individual teaching in that setting where there was no other distractions that was something that worked really well for us um and having that live interaction every day uh was really positive as well i'd say it's almost been a privilege there then to be able to have that um small group focus time because that's not something we often get and i'm sure um you both might agree that 
to have that level of individual focus with a small group, it often has to be um, children taken out for intervention by a specified teacher or a teaching assistant. Definitely, yeah. And, um, you know, very rarely would I get the chance to, to, to be the person delivering that intervention as, as a whole class teacher. Mm-hmm. It's quite often left to the teaching assistants or if you've got support teachers who are not necessarily um, in charge of a, a whole class they would deliver the intervention, but it, it, it fell down to me to do it. And, and I really enjoyed it. Um, and I really relished that time working with children. And, and the relationship was stronger as well, because they felt like uh, they were getting more of me um, than perhaps they would normally. I would say then, then um, that's something that I found over time as a teacher I've developed, which is my practice in delivering focused um, education to a smaller group while the rest of my class do tasks and a lot of that is about accessibility of tasks it's also about um, teaching skills and independence I know something I'm quite big on is three B's before me and even five B's before me you can have that um, how do you promote independence within your classrooms um, and how are you going to do that going back into the classroom knowing that children have that focus so one of the things, if I, I'll pick that up first, if one of the things I've set up um, this year is Holland's Help Desk. So I just kind of sit uh, and I'll bring children over. And again, like you say, that then the children uh, know that if I'm working with a group at the, at the help desk and the red light is there, that, that I'm unavailable and they need to find another way to, to solve the problem that they've got, either by asking a friend or, or all of those other three B strategy, three Bs before me strategies, uh, or simply just, just leaving it, doing something else uh, and then coming back to it when my light changes from red to, uh, to green so that I'm available again. Mm-hmm. That's the way that I've sort of gone about it, which has had some success this year. So Josh, for you, um, obviously your children have not seen you properly for months now because obviously of the COVID-19 situation and you remote teaching. How do you feel about um, children becoming or being independent when they come back to you in September? Uh, it's it's going to be the biggest challenge, to be honest. Um I didn't have the most independent of classes as it was. I kind okay. of had to rip up the rule book and uh, for things I would have done before and kind of throw it out and try and write a new one on the spot because um, just because of the, the different needs in my class, um, there was just because of the way certain kids were wired, you, mm-hmm. yeah, they needed to be, to be told things again and learn that it was okay because otherwise they might just sit there and in fear and not do what they were supposed to do so it's it's been a um a challenging year for me in that respect um and also the next time I see I'm in a room teaching it'll be with a completely different cohort as well so um I'm staying in the same year group which I'm grateful for but other than that is it's going to be a completely different um situation and there'll have been no transition at all um i've been told that i've maybe got the more difficult of the three classes again uh so uh, i don't know is is the honest answer for that um but i'm just anticipating that it'll be difficult not because any real fault of the kids it's just six months out of that habit of working is an awful long time particularly at such a formative age absolutely and i mean yeah go for it martin yeah, I was just going to say, because I think we've potentially got a completely different situation with our school because all of our children have been engaged and all of our children have been working. And the level of um, independence that they've shown, I, I teach in year three, Josh, now, and the, the level of maturity and independence that they've had to show during this time in order to get things done, I think actually we'll see the opposite. I think we'll see children coming back with a more... Uh, with a greater and improved ability to be independent and a more mature attitude because 
we've had that daily interaction in the morning on Zoom. Uh, but other than that, they've then gone away and done their task. And we had like sort of 90, 95% uptake of children working. Uh, and I think that they've shown incredible um, maturity, independence, resilience, um, perseverance to get things done. Uh, so I think we might see the opposite. I think we might see children coming back even more independent than they were perhaps prior to this. I think that would yeah. be something fantastic to check in with the both of you maybe in September is to see how that transition period is going for that. Um, and I'd happily weigh in with my new class because obviously I'm going into a new year group. I haven't been in year five for years, but I'm going back in, which I'm very excited about. But I'm also going into an entirely new school, so it's going to be an interesting transition period for me as well as the children. Um, but I am looking forward to that. Um, I imagine, like Josh has said, there are going to be some obstacles that we're going to have to meet when we do return to the classroom. So in terms of remote learning, what obstacles do you feel you've both faced um, and how are you overcoming them or how have you overcame them? Well, first uh, first of all, it's, it's just been engagement for me. It's been that desperation of just trying to make sure they're in the habit of learning. Um, I think, yeah, because as Martin was saying, we're probably in a very different situation, but I think for for us, the main um, goal is just to keep them in the habit of working um, and is less so about um, them learning new things, them keeping them producing particularly high quality things. It's just keeping them ticking over until we can get them back, really, because um, they've not all got access to everything mm -hmm. they would need. Um, a lot of them have said they really struggled with the online home learning. Um, this is coming from parents and the kids. Um, and that they wanted sheets, email, and um, posting physically to them, which we've done. Um, uh, so yeah, and that's that's been the real challenge. We've um, we've written postcards to all of our um, children, which is which was um, really nice to do actually. Uh, and again, um, we put the school official email address that they would send emails into, and then get that would get forwarded on to each each teacher. Um, and I got a couple back from that. Um, it was uh, it was nice to see that that worked as well. Mm -hmm. But just checking that they were doing something, the, some of the work we got emailed, um, it put you in a really difficult situation because you were you were looking at it thinking if that was produced in the classroom, you know, chances are I'd be fuming. But they've produced it at home, and I have no idea what their home situation's like. So I have got to compliment them on the fact that they have done the work, and then try and gently and with the the most patience as possible email back suggesting something that they could have done to improve it uh, and that's been really hard because it fights all your instincts of going you are so much better than that don't you dare put this in front of me um mm -hmm. so it's it's been a real real challenge just to make sure that kids yeah kids are still still working and that they've not completely forgotten because i think uh as well as behavior and habits a lot of them will be in for a massive shock on the expectations of them when they come back um, because it's been impossible to impose the expectations of the quality of work when you're just trying to impose the expectations of the regularity of work. Um, so really. would we maybe say that a, um, an obstacle that you faced would be a lack of control on your part because obviously in a classroom we have such control. We, we, we are essentially micromanagers in a lot of ways and we've entirely lost that really. Yeah, you've just relinquished the ability to yeah to to be in control of the things that you can normally control and you are normally accountable for, which is the progress of thirty kids. Um, and now it, you you feel terrible because you you go well, I've you know 
they, they may have made no progress and it's weirdly just not my fault at all because um, I've done my best. Absolutely. Martin? We've had, we, uh, we've had a similar, the, the same issue in perhaps a slightly different way. So the hardest thing for us has been able to, to sort of judge what the children have done independently and what they've done done with support because I've had probably... Again, the opposite problem of that, I've had some children producing work that, that I would say was far in advance of what they were producing in the classroom <laughs> because they've had because they've had such we've got such supportive parents who are who are willing to, to dedicate time to sit with them one to one. Um it, it was hard for us to, to make an assessment of of did they do this themselves or how structured was this? Um the parents in our school are, are they value education very highly and they were at first unwilling to send anything in that had any mistakes uh, on it you know they wanted their children to send in perfect work and we had to go through that process of, of explaining actually you know I need to see what they can and, and what they can't do in order to, to help them with their next step so we were getting really polished incredible amazing pieces of work and it, it, it was actually probably in advance of what the children could do independently so same issue uh, you know, in terms of the lack of control, um, just in a slightly different form. That's very interesting that because that's two very different schools and two very different scenarios there. Um, and I think something that is going to be interesting going back is having that control back in the classroom and establishing that and making sure that the children are aware that the environment that they have been used to at home is now back into the classroom. And I think removing ourselves from the classroom for this period actually offered us a bit of an opportunity to reset ourselves um so I wonder what elements um of post-lockdown teaching you might leave out of the classroom when the children come back it's a tough question this one Ooh. <laughs> over to you Martin <laughs> yeah <laughs> thanks very much <laughs> I think um in, for me what we've what we've seen is that you know, the children can still show uh, what they can do and they haven't had to sit a, a, a formal assessment for for the whole period of time. We, we just haven't assessed them in, in any way. Um, and we still have been able to, we've still been able to in our school make sort of judgments of, of where they're up to, um, give them their end of year grades and targets and things in, in the same way without putting them through the pressures of any formal testing. Uh, so I, I would wonder whether we could go back when we go back into the classroom how much impact actually doing lots and lots of testing um has uh, because for us we're, we're I, I would imagine we're going to go back and it's going to be fairly similar to what we were doing before and we've had six months without any um any formal testing um so i i would wonder about the impact of, of formal testing uh, we haven't had a staff meeting for, for six months and you know i've been able to develop myself professionally through learning about technology and things um haven't had and we haven't had to sit through hours and hours of, of staff meetings so i would wonder about the sort of quality and impact that staff meetings are having on teacher time uh, as well as another issue there are a couple of things there that i'm not saying let's definitely get rid of testing let's definitely get rid of staff meetings but we can certainly reflect on how much impact they have and how we could make them uh, perhaps uh, better moving forward interesting perspective there and I am obviously with me being out of the classroom for a couple of months I hadn't thought about the impact of staff meetings and things like that um Josh do you agree with um Martin's feelings yeah absolutely um and I think another thing is uh highlighted as well uh I guess is the the sort of um 
like you were saying, the micromanaging, which means we sort of decide everything the kids are going to have to do, and they very rarely have uh, freedom over their learning. Mm-hmm. Whereas, um, and obviously you know, that wouldn't work for all um, all children. But one of one of the things I've enjoyed is seeing some of the kids who've gone off pace slightly with their working. Um, I got emailed uh, a lovely little project um, from one of the kids in my class, um, which was some of, some of it was you know a bit too much because he um, his nan had found some uh, owl poo in his garden, nice. um, uh, <laughs> and he'd literally then done a whole project on owls because he knew that um, they didn't digest their food properly and he could find stuff in the bone, and it was like it was brilliant. But I was just sitting there um, at the dining room table with my laptop, and I got this email. It's like, oh, this will be good. And then there was just loads of photographs of owl poo attached. And I was like, oh, this is this is brilliant. But as as sort of gross as it was, I thoroughly enjoyed it because he'd come up with that all on his own. Um, it wasn't even like there was a direction of, uh, we want you to do a project about animals, uh, do what you want. There was literally nothing. He just did that all of his own accord. And it, you wonder with some kids what what we're missing out on them doing because we just tell them what to do all the time. Absolutely. And I think intrinsic motivation is very, very important. I found when I taught in Melbourne that a lot of the work followed the um, the IB program. So it was very project based and the quality of work I would get off a lot of children was much higher than a prescribed task that I would give because having that freedom to explore something that they found sparked their interest and produced some wonderful thought from them and they delved that little bit deeper. Um, so just to round up what we've been talking about, I wonder if you could both take a moment just to think about a top piece of advice that you would give for anyone delivering lessons online or who are still teaching remotely and maybe struggling with that towards the end of the year. Yeah, uh, if I, I'll, I'll pick that up. Um, for, for us at first, I think what we, we certainly got wrong was we were sending too, too much. So my top piece of advice is whatever you think about sending out, because we I was thinking about it from a teacher's point of view, whatever you think, uh, make it a little bit simpler. So, you know, we were sending out full lessons with starters and inputs and, and the main tasks to do and, and questions and things like that. And we had to scale it right back to the to the real basics of here's a little bit of teaching do this uh, do this task so you know for me the top piece of advice is whatever you're thinking of sending out make it a little bit simpler uh, and the second piece that, that I would sort of say is be prepared to have a go at new things I was really uh, anxious about teaching on Zoom and, and that that live element um, and not and having that fear almost held us back from having a go at it but then once I'd done it and had a go and taught online I actually loved it and really enjoyed it so I think you know when it comes to technology there's there's always that little bit of anxiety there um but don't let your fears hold you back just be prepared to have a go because anything getting anything done at this time in this situation is is better than, than anything that's done perfectly you know just just getting stuff done and giving children the opportunity to do anything uh is great because it's been really really tough yeah, I'd, um, I completely agree about the technology aspect. Um, I think you, even if you don't know how, how to use it, don't know how it works, um, educate yourself because technology is something that's not going to go away. It's only going to get more, more, more and more important. So actually, um, the more you educate yourself now, the better you'll equip yourself for later in your career. I know a lot of 
staff because um, I obviously sort of headed it up and I wrote a little document for how exactly to use it. A lot of staff still sort of lived in fear of it and kind of just assumed that I knew how to do it because I was one of the younger members of staff, which there's an element of truth to, but also I still I was still self-taught in it all. I'd never set up a YouTube channel before. Um, so just embracing the technology, getting as as good at it as you can be. Obviously, there's lots of different levels of video editing you could get yourself into, but get yourself the basics as soon as you can, and then it'll be a really um, a really good sort of feather in your cap for your CV if you're looking to apply it anywhere else. If you can prove, look, here's what I did during during lockdown. Uh, here's how I kept learning going. That'll be very impressive to anyone who's looking um, because there's a lot of staff who still aren't very proficient with IT um, in schools. I do find computing is a huge CPD need and it's often um, a huge development point. It often needs that high school budget, which can be a, a problem, but it's also um, something that requires a lot of time, I think. And I think you're right in a way that people in our um, generation and our age of teachers, we tend to have grown up with it. I mean, I had a computer in my house from being 10 years old, so it was something that I grew up with. But I think we paved the way in a way. We've got to show children that we're learning too because learning's a lifelong construct. It's not something we do once we've left the classroom. It's something we embrace throughout our lives. And if we can show them that we're willing to try and we're willing to make mistakes, then it can only serve to teach children about that lifelong element of it. I would also say that this is probably one of the most exciting years to be a teacher, really. I think 2020, 2021 and going forward, no one knows what this is going to look like coming back in. We've got some ideas of the practicalities of it, but the impact on this is going to be quite um, huge, I'd say. Um, but I think it's a really exciting time to be giving it a go. And I hope that people considering the career aren't put off by what's happened and are still looking to pursue that. Well, it's a great time for change as well, isn't it? You know, if if ever there was an opportunity to sort of instigate change, now is the right time to kind of think about it and do it. I would say so. Um, so, Josh, we should say thank you um, to you for joining us. We're really pleased to have had you, obviously, because we have such fond memories of working together anyway. Um, and the things you've talked about are going to link um, greatly to what we've been discussing with Leanne, who we're about to introduce, who has already joined us back in the classroom. She's in Shanghai and she's sort of paving the way for us to see what what's going to happen for us in September. No, absolute pleasure. Um, enjoy talking about it. Um, and it's been nice to talk to you guys as well. It's been a while. Yeah, no, it's been brilliant. Brilliant to catch up, Josh. And thanks for joining us today. It was um, it was great to get a, a different perspective on the same same subject. So you and I have been through the same thing, but it sounds like in two completely different ways. <laughs> yeah, polar opposite experiences, really, haven't they? Well, yeah. we'll catch up with this maybe in a follow-up episode in September. I'd love to have you back to talk about how it's actually working for all of us. Oh, well, my uh, my cut might have gone up by then, but I'll let you know. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. And so, um, as Jade mentioned, some schools in China are now teaching in the classroom environment again. So I caught up with Leanne yesterday uh, to find out how she's been doing it uh, in China. And that will follow next. In the next section of the podcast, we're going to be talking about transitioning back into the classroom. And we're delighted to be joined with Leanne Lucas, a teacher who's currently working in Shanghai. How are you, Leanne? Hi, I'm good, thank you. How are you? 
Yeah, doing good. Thank you. Doing good. Would you like to start by just telling us a little bit about yourself, your background in teaching, uh, where you currently are? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, so I started my um, teaching career teaching at Edge Hill University um, in Ormskirk. And then I did my last placement at Churchtown Primary School in Southport, where I lived. And I stayed there and did a good eight years at that school. And then I decided to move to Shanghai um, and moved to a bilingual kindergarten, teaching year one. And next year I'll be moving to an international school teaching in Key Stage 2. And how is life in China? Um it's 50 50 it's good it's like we've come a long way um, um hopefully showing the world, world that things are a bit more back to normal um but at the same time lots of things have changed i've got a lot of friends who um can't come back uh lots of businesses struggling and um you know things like wearing a mask and temperature checks are still really important because obviously we're still getting the odd case every now and again so it's very up and down but you know people are trying to make the most of it and then just thinking about school and what's it like being back in school? This is something that obviously lots of people in the UK are going to be working towards in September. Myself and Qatar were working towards that in September. So I'd be really interested to hear from you what life has been like back in back in school. Yeah, so um, we were doing remote learning and then one day we got a message saying, OK, we're going to open the school. And we were all really in disbelief because there seemed to be an awful lot of cases around the world. It seemed like it was too soon. Um, but anyway, we went back into school. Two weeks of uh, training and preparation took place. Uh, teachers were extremely nervous. Um, lots of teachers who were very confident before were asking um, really explicit questions about like, where can this table go? Where can the seat go? Can I say this? Can I take my mask off to teach phonics? You know, all these questions that were popping up. So um, the morning I walked to school when the children were arriving, I actually uh, filled up crying <laughs> because yeah. it, was, it was such a beautiful day. Like I got the metro, which I was I was trying to avoid the metro, obviously for like gathering reasons. I got the metro and I was walking down the road and the sun was shining and um, I walked past another school and the parents were dropping off the children and they were just beaming. The children were bouncing into, into the playground the teachers were so happy to see them and I just thought you know it's it's such a lovely profession to be in like I was so excited to get back into the building after feeling so nervous getting into school oh my goodness the children were just running in smiling um parents were like goodbye see you later we thought they'd be like grabbing onto the children you know making sure we were we had everything um, sorted, but they come in and they were socially distanced. They had their temperature checked. They showed a code to show where they'd been in the last 14 days um, and whether they quarantined and if anyone in their family had any symptoms. If them, the systems in China are robust. So, you, you know, if you've been in contact with someone and, you know, all that sort of stuff. Um, safety precautions, uh, everything was set up in the classroom, you know, lines on the floor, children spread out. Um, we were quite lucky because the kindergartens could choose whether the children came back or not. So the parents of kindergarten children had a choice, whereas the primary schools and middle schools, they all had to go back. Obviously, right, okay. so our parents, right. you know, they, um, we had a good turnout. I mean, uh, we've got three classes in year one. Uh, I'd say we have half the children back. And I was, I was pre predicting that, you know, a lot wouldn't come back. Um, but so yeah. Yeah, half the children back. Um, and the children were on it. Oh my goodness! They they knew more than me. You know, they knew we have a have, uh, seven hand hand washing step. They they already knew it. 
And we planned all these lessons to teach. They already knew, you know, why we had to separate them at lunchtime, why we had to wash all the toys, you know, why we couldn't go in the rooms, like the school library and things. Um, so the children were very educated because they'd lived through it at home and they'd been yeah. prepared for it by their parents. So um, everyone's very safety conscious here already. So that, it kind of helped us as teachers. So the last couple of weeks teaching have, have been very challenging because um, a lot of my colleagues have not been here. So I've been yeah. teaching multiple classes, but at the same time, the children have been an absolute dream and they've just appreciated being back at school. Uh, I've been great, you know, no complaints, um, no extra questions, just really enjoying getting back to normal. I think that's lovely to hear, you know, when you were talking there about the, the trip into school and the emotion that comes with that, I think that for everybody who hasn't been in the classroom or has been teaching online, having that little bit to look forward to now of, of the enjoyable bit being back in the classroom and stuff there's kind of light at the end of the tunnel so it's great to hear that that was kind of exactly what you'd hoped it to be and it was such an enjoyable experience that's uh, brilliant I mean it must be scary for every single person who has to go into the world after after what's happened you've been forced to stay in your home for so long and so have the children um I mean I, I there's a couple of children I've been working with outside of school who um, I, I just know from uh, other families. And because they're a little bit older, they've actually been very afraid to rejoin society because their families have been like, it's, you know, this virus is dangerous and all this sort of stuff. But because our children are very young, they're very robust and they're like, right, this is it. This is how school's going to be. And they've just kind of just got back into the swing of it, which has helped us a lot. Yeah, and, and in our school in Qatar, I've been blown away day after day with the resilience that the children have shown. So I teach in year three and... Uh, yeah. Every single day, the way they've approached the Zoom lessons with enthusiasm and positivity, they, they've been the ones that have kept me going rather than me keeping them going. It's been incredible. Yeah, it's, uh, it's been a, a real like um, eye-opener, hasn't it? And almost um, a, bit, a bit of time to appreciate what we're, uh, you know, our relationship with the children without the lessons, pretty much. Like, it's, it's, a, it's a bond that a lot of um, jobs don't have, I guess. Yeah, I completely agree. And if we just build on that slightly, how, how do you think the children have responded to, to life back in school? Have you noticed a change in their development? Um, yeah, and I know this is a big deal back in the UK. I've been reading a lot of things in some uh, groups I've been on about how they're doing the recovery curriculum and how they have to do a lot of catch up. But here in China, education is key. Um, there are a lot, a lot of people here. So if you have to get your education right from two years old, even before that, really. So while they're off, they've all had um, online tutors, whether that's been, you know, contact with myself or, you know, they've had tutors from all around the world. I had one child in my class having daily online piano lessons with a Russian piano uh, player. So, you know, um, wow. children have, have been uh, uh, really developing their talents. But when they've come back, every single teacher has said, haven't you noticed um, things like their fine motor skills, um, you know, um, the quick recall of facts and things like all these types of things have really, really uh, developed over time. So we've carried on the teaching. I mean, obviously I've done a little bit of recap and a little bit of um, uh, going, um, reinforcement, but I've just carried on exactly where I left off and the, the children have just kept, kept up. Brilliant. And again, that's another reassuring point. So it's great to hear about the enjoyment factor, but also actually that some of the things that teachers might be worrying about in terms of uh, curriculum recovery and things, maybe it's not going to be quite as big a uh, issue as what, what we're perhaps predicting. Although 
I know that the education in China is probably quite different from what we're experiencing in, in the UK. Uh, I would say that Qatar is probably more similar to, to the children in China yeah. and the children that we teach. But some of the, some of the children in, UK, in the UK who maybe haven't been exposed to that kind of thing, there might be a bigger emphasis on, on that sort of recovery and recap. I mean, a lot of families here uh, are quite privileged, so they have the money for the online tutors. So it's a, it's a big difference, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. I think so, for sure. And then if we could just think about the actual classroom environment yeah. itself, how have you in your school created a safe, um, environment for the children and, and for yourself as, as adults returning to the classroom? Okay, so um, when we enter the school building, we have our temperature checked. We have a full-on uh, setup outside, a little tent with the nurse there. Um, and we've been given policies and procedures. And we even had, even all the teachers and all the staff had to do a test before we actually went back to school to see if we actually read the policies and the procedures, because it's really important. Um, the children come in and they get the temperature checked and then they have to wash their hands before they come into the building. Now in China, there's a rule that we have indoor shoes and outdoor shoes, which I really, really like. And I never thought about this in the UK, but so they come into school and they change into their indoor shoes. Um, so straight away, right. we're already eliminating, you know, anything. We're trying to keep the germs out of the building basically. Um, and then we ask the parents, you know, can the children take their masks off when they come into school? Every single parent agreed, yes, masks off in school. So they take their mask off, um, but they wanted the teachers and staff to keep their masks on. So we keep our masks on while we teach. Um, when we're outside, we're allowed to take them off, uh, just keeping that distance. And then there's the um, distancing rules. Not so much with lesson time, actually. Um, the children are sitting pretty close and they're playing. in Because okay. we have continuous provision. I'm in year one, so they're all in the areas absolutely fine and uh, they just know you know if they're coughing they're coughing into their elbow and um, they're washing their hands and then they have the procedure of snack time and lunch time they line up lunchtime, they line they up like their meal and they take it to a table and we have dividers uh, here in china it seems they they think the virus is spread a lot when people are eating because obviously you know table manners and things so they have these um dividers that we must use for eating time Children have their own water bottles okay. already, so that's not a problem. Um, they have their own box of toys to play with outside each class, and they're cleaned. Uh, they have certain areas in the school that they one class uses per week, and then they're cleaned. And then every day, the toys that they've been using, um, like the building blocks and things, um, the we have childcare assistants. Um, they clean everything for us that day, and then the toys are rotated. So, you know, it sounds like a lot of work, but actually... Uh, once the children are in the routine and it becomes our daily routine, it's it's not been too bad. And that's sort of my next question, really, is how how do you think it's compared with pre-lockdown classroom teaching? Uh, well, the thing that I like to do with my year group is do a lot of year group activities. We can't do that. We're not allowed to mix. So, um, you know, the wow days and the, the themed activities we've been doing with our own class and almost, you know, sharing pictures and things, but it's not the same. Um, we used to stream for phonics. That's been very tricky. We can't we can't stream for phonics across the year group. So, you know, I've been teaching phonics in three classes, but at the same time, then having to group my children again and, and teaching them the uh, in maybe three sets of phonics. So I can see how that's going to be a struggle in the UK with having bigger class sizes. Um, I've been very lucky. My class only seven have returned. So you know, I I can okay. easily easily plan that. 
but as as I was saying before, I'm teaching three classes, so I'm still running around um, trying to do that. Uh, very regimented routines. We didn't have as many routines to follow beforehand. Uh, we can't play outdoors with anybody else. So like we can see the other class from afar and they're in the area and we're in ours and we can't play together. So that's been a bit strange. Um, we haven't had any assemblies. Parents can't come in for graduation. Um, we're, we're actually struggling with graduation uh, because lots of children are not here. And can we have parents in? Can we not? So um, a lot of parents are doing their own thing outside of school. So that would be different this year. So it's been basically it's kind of been a little bit more isolated, you would say, and, and quite a lot more structure and, and routine and rules put in place. Yeah, and a lot of trust being put in place for the teachers. So, you know, all the year one parents are trusting me that, you know, my health and hygiene I'm telling the truth when I'm saying where I've been, I'm wearing my mask, I'm getting my temperature checked because I'm in and out of the classrooms all the time. You know, they've put the trust in me that that's okay. Um, but it, it's it's the thing that's happened. And this, this is that, um, it's just come up now it, that I've just thought of, but how have the adults responded to being back in, in school? How have, you, how have you found the staff that are there have responded to, to sort of the transition back into the classroom? Um, for, in the training weeks, very, very nervous. Even very qualified, experienced Even... teachers were very nervous because we've never experienced this before. This, this, I can't think of a time when we've anything like this has happened. Maybe we've had like what one snow day in the UK where everyone gets to go home. It's nothing, is it? So, um, yeah. or like we were at school and the boiler broke at Stanley and we got to yeah, go like, home. Remember that? Things like that. We're like, whoa! Just go home. Like no one worries about it. But here, every day we're wondering, are we coming in tomorrow? You, you know. Um, we had a, a bit of an outbreak in Beijing. I don't know if you remember on the news not so long ago. Yeah. And um, at that time, domestic travel had started again. So a lot of my parents travel from Beijing to Shanghai. So some children were in one day, out the next, in the next day because their parents were getting tested for the virus. And the, the uh, government were like, the kids can go to school. No, they can't. Yes, they can. So, you know, them children were a little bit, they come to school and they're like, am I staying or what? You know, but it's, we just kind of laughed about it and thought it, we just had to turn it into a joke for the children because how can you explain that situation to them? I just, I don't understand. Yeah. Yeah, it's certainly been tricky. And as you say, uh, let's hope that it doesn't happen again. But I think if it does, we'll certainly be in a better position in, in terms of preparation yeah. because I think one of the things we found similar to you is that one day we were in school and the next day we were told we weren't coming into school and we had to kind of now just teach online. And it was like, well where do you even well, start with something like that it's so different from what we used to you know to. what happened to us it happened to us when we were on chinese new year and that's a major holiday here so we all get two weeks off so we were all over the world and we get this call or this message saying you know there's a the, this virus you're hearing about is actually real um so this is going to happen this is going to happen you might want to come back you might not and so the message you, we were getting were causing a lot of anxiety um, I actually met up with my head teacher while we were away so I started off in Bali then I ended up in Singapore mm -hmm. and then I ended up meeting my head teacher in New Zealand because we didn't know where to go shall we go back to China shall we go to the UK uh, or shall we just carry on our travel and just hope this all blows over and you know we've had an extra holiday um, and then when we were in New Zealand we get the call of if you're not back by this date um, you know, there's going to be trouble because the the borders are going to close, things are going to happen. So, you know, we were, we rushed back, you know, we rushed back through Hong Kong and um, managed to get back through Hong Kong, get into Shanghai. And luckily we'd 
hit a point where lockdown wasn't um, so intense. A couple of places had started to reopen by the time we got back. Um, but still, like, where right. you lived, they decided whether you had to quarantine or not. Um, so a lot of people okay. were quarantined for for two weeks, stuck indoors. Some people could go out. Uh, so that was very, very tricky. Um, and, you know, my, I left my friend in Singapore. She went back to the UK. I've not seen her since. So actually, it's more yeah. strange for us as foreign teachers because all the Chinese staff were here because the Chinese New Year is such an important holiday. Everyone was here. Um, everyone was safe. Everyone was home. But um, there's still a lot of families from the international schools that are not back. So in September, when we restart, um, there's going to be a lot less children in the international schools because they just can't return. The borders are closed. There's no there's no answer to that. So any teachers who have been employed um, from the UK or abroad, they're going to remote teach the um, children who are also away. And then we'll teach the children that are here. So maybe that will help our work-life balance a little bit. Yeah. And so over over the time, obviously, we talked about the initial anxiety of, for the adults yeah. returning to the classroom. But over time, do you think that that's reduced or do you think that that's still there day to day? You know what? It's, I think it's reduced dramatically. A, a lot. We had a lot of members of staff that were planning to go back home this year and they've decided to stay in China because actually China feels much safer. So we've almost got the comfort yeah. blanket. Like my parents will call me and they're like, we're really happy you're in Shanghai, especially when it was really um uncomfortable in the uk wasn't it you ever there was so many mixed messages about going out staying in you know yeah. <laughs> all that sort of stuff and i was kind of like calling them up from brunch being like way we're at brunch it's fine um so my, it's giving my mum some relief really that i'm okay yeah which is which is definitely good i know that um for me i've come home for the summer and i know that's been a bit of relief for my parents as well now this has been brilliant and really fascinating i'm sure that lots of people who are listening our, our hordes of listeners will be um pleased to hear about some of the things that are in place and that actually the transition back into the classroom is doable if we could just finish by sort of your top tips for for a yeah. successful transition back into class okay so top tip i would say is to not baby the children when they get back you know they've they've man they've been so resilient through this whole thing we should give them the credit for that um, we're, and we work as a team with the children um, everything is you know very clear nothing goes home or comes to school so um, that's been very helpful with you know making sure thing that any virus or any germs aren't transmitted uh, we have the indoor outdoors uh, shoe rule so something like that could benefit other countries maybe having you know like indoor things outdoor things um we have child size masks that they wear to enter school and to exit school and we come up with a policy you know are we all going to do the mask situation or not are we all going to wear gloves or not so i think rather than people saying you can or you can't it's really good to have a whole school approach um online communication is key um we use an app still so every day i'll send a few photos home of the children um, in the activities, it reass really reassures the parents. And then I do a weekly blog and weekly photos, really just explaining to the parents exactly what we've done that week. And it's just kind of reassured everybody and made sure the parents know where the children are at and that we haven't really missed any learning. So it's been really nice as a teacher to have these blogs and photos as a sort of memory of, you know, we made it, we did it. Um, and give and the teachers give themselves a bit of a pat on the back like it's it's a hard job um, and this is a really strange time brilliant that's fa that's fantastic Anne, and thanks so much for, for joining us today because we've uh, it's been fascinating to listen to 
what we're all coming to in September. We, we're in a probably slightly better position than you that we know it's coming. So we can use all of your advice and kind of use that to, to sort of help us um, yeah. create yeah, safe sure, plastic yeah. environment. Thanks very much. Thanks, Martin. Well, there we have it. Episode two done and complete. How was that? Great. And it was lovely to hear from Josh again. I haven't seen him in quite a while since I've obviously come back from being away. And it was great to hear from Leanne's perspective. It's real comfort to me to know that she's managing and that it's been quite a positive experience overall. Yeah, no, I, I certainly found the reassurance and the enthusiasm and the energy from Leanne um, really positive from a personal point of view. I was quite uplifted after that yesterday. And it was really interesting listening to Josh there about how things have been the same, but but so different in terms of what we've experienced. That was really, really interesting. So a uh, huge thank you to Josh and Leanne for joining us on episode two. And also, uh, one thing we forgot from episode one is, is a massive thank you to Matty Waring for this, this lovely logo that you can see associated with our podcast. And, and um, if anybody's interested in graphic design work, you can find uh, Matty's information in our, in our bio um, on our Instagram page at Teach Air Podcast. Yeah, and I think... Matty and Josh and Liana just cementing what Teacher wanted to be for us, which is connecting different people from different places with a common goal. Um, so I feel like even in episode two, we're well on our way with that. Um, and in terms of uh, a nice segue there for helping us with our goals, um, we're now available on Apple Podcasts, which makes me feel very legitimate. Um, and I'd love some um, reviews and comments on there if possible, because that's a way for us to grow our engagement and our following. Five star only. If you think you're putting the four stars, don't. Absolutely. And if you do want to do that, you can find that in the link tree in our Instagram bio at Teacher Podcast. Um, and I'm very excited about next week, to be honest, Martin, because we've got um, a really a great guest and a great episode ahead. So we're introducing Josh Quinn, who is a high school English teacher and department lead in Blackpool. Um, and we're going to be discussing with him how much is too much in terms of sharing your personal life with your pupils and delivering anecdotes within the classroom and he's offering us a perspective here that um of being openly gay within the classroom and how he's found his experiences there so i'm very looking forward to speaking to josh there another josh yeah just going for the joshes so far but that'd be amazing um something that's really interesting um for me to 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 give my perspective as well to being in a different culture uh, and how that might be different as well so um exciting times ahead and Thank you to everyone who's made it this this far again, um, listening to, to the podcast. We had over 100 plays in five different countries of our first episode, and we're exceptionally grateful for that. And if people could keep sharing and keep reviewing, that would be amazing. That would. And just another point of sharing and um, sharing opinions to link with what we're saying about Josh. We have recently posted an Instagram post asking about personal life within the classroom and how much to share if people would love to give us an opinion on that that is available on our instagram too yeah and i think we're going to lead into to a whole episode on that um if we get the the level of response that we expect because i think it's a uh an incredibly powerful statement that that has been posted um, and been shared by neil so i'm um, looking forward to getting into that as well thank you and i suppose we'll see you next week yeah, absolutely. You keep enjoying your celebrations on the new job, Jade. Congratulations again, and uh, we'll see you for episode three shortly. Thanks very much. See you soon. <laughs>